This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Welcome to the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I am Chad the Impaler, and thanks for showing up this episode. In this episode, we have a narcissist abuse survivor interview with Paige. And before we get to Paige, uh, let me just say uh, another trigger warning uh, on this episode. We're going to just do trigger warnings as a whole uh, going forward. Uh, this episode might trigger you. It might not trigger you. If it does trigger you, uh, turn it off. Uh, uh, if it uh, doesn't trigger you, keep on listening. And also, uh, when we use the term narcissist on the show, uh, it is uh, a blanket of people that uh, that exhibit narcissistic tendencies. Uh, they might not have specifically narcissistic personality disorder, but they could have borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, all of the cluster B personality disorders um, that are the di- that meet the diagnostic criterion. Um, some of these people uh, that we're talking about, or all of them, uh, well, most of them probably will not have an actual diagnosis. This is the opinion of the people who are telling the stories. And now that that is out of the way, uh, things that happened this week, I've been trying to change the theme music of the show. And so far, it's been a struggle. I've gone through many different types of songs that I wanted to use, and I'm still stuck on the old theme song. I think I've out- out- outgrown the old theme song because when we started this podcast, it was kind of a jokey podcast, and now we're like a serious podcast. And, you know, we talk with people all over the world, and everyone tells their story, and uh, we learn, and we share, and we grow. And it's uh, a lot different than, you know, just a happenstance that this happened. So, I don't know if uh, I don't know if everyone agrees that I should change the music. I've been trying to find the right one. Not everyone's going to be happy with whatever I choose. I'm not even happy sometimes. I thought I picked out the right one, and then I come back to it. I'm like, nah, this stinks. So I'm still working on that. Uh, I'm still working on uh, getting everyone's episode out. We're trying a new schedule as well. We're going to do right now once a week to see how kind of how that goes instead of doing twice a week because sometimes uh, it's just too much for people to listen to and they miss episodes. So that is one part. Uh, Another thing that's going on, I uh, told myself never go back into into support groups on uh, Facebook because I, I, as you know, I'm not the biggest fan. Yes, there are good people on there. And yes, those people are helpful. But sometimes you run into some people who are projecting their own issues uh, onto you. And I just kind of, I find it triggering and, and not helpful. But for some people it works. For me, it doesn't. But anyway, I went back on uh, this week onto a male-only narcissistic abuse survivor group. And boy, what I saw was terrible. Um, So if you are, like, it was very uh, misogynistic. It was a a lot of woman hating, and it just didn't seem helpful uh, for anyone. There was a lot of projection. I got into uh, a couple arguments uh, where I just said to... to, uh, some of the original, not the original posters, but the uh, people responding to the original posters uh, where I just said, like, please stop uh, projecting your issues onto this person. This person has stated X and you're just saying Y and you're telling them to do Y and they don't want to do Y. Stop uh, doing what you're doing. And a lot of the memes on there, it was just, it was really disgusting behavior. The person who was in charge of the board 
uh, tried his best to say to, to have people stop that behavior. But then at the same time, he would he was questionable uh, some of the things he would post and say as well. So if you are a male um, and you are just entering uh, the healing process, maybe you've just had this happen uh, with a relationship or you were raised by a narcissist and you go on to these forums, please do not go into a male-only forum. Please go into a female and male combined co-ed forum. Uh, you know, at least you're going to get uh, a better quality uh, person out there who uh, might have your best interest uh, at heart. What I saw today or in this past week was really disgusting. So men out there, stay away from those male-only groups. Um, it's not uh, the right place for you to, to get any sort of healing. It may feel great to be angry, and for some reason you're angry only at all women in general, but it's, you know, one person did whatever they did to, uh, to you. And not everyone. So please, you know, let's try and uh, keep a rational mind here. Now, after all of that, um, we are, uh, we, I did an interview with uh, Paige. And Paige's story is an uh, interesting one. She was raised by a narcissistic mother. And she has not had uh, the easiest life. And she's... Well, I'll let you, I'll let you uh, get into it, but she's uh, uh, got a sweet voice, and uh, her story is one of, you know, overcoming uh, being raised by a narcissistic parent uh, really on her own and without a lot of help. Uh, so she's a lot to be uh, proud of uh, because she's uh, soldiered her way through uh, maneuvering through this all by herself, and that's not an easy thing to do. So now without further ado, here is my interview with Paige. And thank you everyone for tuning in today with me on the line. I have Paige. How are you, Paige? I'm good. Thank you. So I just want to thank you for uh, being on the show today. And you're a narcissist abuse survivor raised by narcissists, uh, specifically a narcissist, uh, narcissistic mother. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm now just going to get out of uh, your way, and the floor is yours. Okay. Um, so my mom's a, a, a narcissist. She's a, I would classify her as a, a covert narcissist. Um, and as only have I realized this over the past year now, I've always known that there's been something wrong, but never been able to like quite classify it. Um, so it feels good to finally that there's a name for it and that there's a specific, you know, spectrum that she's on and all of it can kind of make sense. Um, so I'm the youngest out of, um, I have an older sister, um, and I have two older half brothers, um, on my dad, on my dad's side. Um, but I was raised in a single parent home with my mom, uh, my older sister. Um, and so I was, when I came into the picture, um, things were quite already really messy between my parents. Um, my mom came out of, um, her, on my family, on my mom's family side, 
we were quite religious. Um, so when she got together with my dad, she kind of left um, that religious community um, and kind of got excommunicated from it because she um, got together with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had my mom. I had my had she, my mom had my sister, and then uh, she had me later. Um, but when I came into the picture, my my mom and dad were my mom had a restraining order against my dad um, at that point, and my dad wasn't there when I was born. Um, he was there for my sister, but he wasn't there. Um, when I was born. Um, so <clears throat> when I kind of started growing up and realizing what the whole situation was of my life, the dynamics of it, um, it was quite term- turmoil, <laughs> turmoilish because my mom had, um, very much the consensus of what our situation was that she was very much scared of him. Um, that he was very emotionally abusive, um, physically abusive towards her. I had never seen my dad be physically abusive, but that's what she said, um, that he was physically abusive. Um, I do believe that he's emotionally abusive, and I would classify him as a grandiose narcissist um, because <laughs> because um, now looking back and I can compare my mom and my dad's behaviors and they're just all too similar. Um, except my mom's only got that, you know, the, the difference between covert and grandiose. My dad is just totally uh, lines up with the grandiose and my mom totally lines up with the covert, but they're both completely similar in their behaviors of narcissism. Um, so my, me and my sister had to go have visits with my dad, um, because that was kind of the, my mom had custody of us, but we had to go visit with my dad on occasions. Um, but my mom didn't make it easier on us when it came to the fear and the nervousness of having to go see him because um, she made herself very much like she was a victim of the situation that she had gotten into with my dad. And the, the story that she kind of told was, she left out a lot of like the responsibility on her part for getting herself into it. Um, and the choices, it was kind of like, she made it sound like she had been like, it just wasn't her fault. Like she had just been manipulated into it. So, um, she didn't make it easier on me and my sister to kind of go have visits with him because it was just, she was scared of him. And so as little kids, at least, I don't know, I feel like my sister too felt this way for sure. Um, As little kids looking at the adult and being like, well, my mom as an adult is scared of this man. Like how much more as little children do we need to be scared? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it just, you know, but being around my dad, actually going to go visit him, there wasn't that all that much reason to be that scared of him. I feel like, um, my dad was um, more absent than anything when we were with him. Um, so anyway, um, growing up with that was, was difficult, going through those visits and the dealing with my mom, dealing with my dad on, you know, over the phone, setting up stuff, I to go visit him. 
that was complicated. Um, but I think growing up, aside from that, we had a lot of family. Um, my mom wasn't excommunicated from the church anymore. She was involved with my my mom's side of the family, and we, my mom's side of the family is quite large. Mm-hmm. Um, and the community and the church and stuff like that was quite extensive, too. So we hung out with a lot of people, like my mom's side of the family and, and friends and all that stuff. So me and my sister have talked about it, and we've kind of agreed that we both had a generally... Um, I don't want to say happy, happy childhood. Maybe that's the wrong word, but I feel like we were small enough and maybe ignorant enough to not notice the problem on my mom's side of things, like mm-hmm. my mom's behavior towards us. And I think it was very, it was less then, and it was easier for my mom to just act like she was, you know, she had been abused. So how could she be the abuser, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And we were the products of the situation that she had gotten into. But looking back, I mean, I remember it so, we had so much social, you know, opportunities and, and hanging out with people. So it's kind of like being able to forget what was happening in our life and, you know, just focus on being children and, and all that stuff. But um, I do remember looking back the signs of it as a small child growing up into being like, you know, eight, nine, 10, you know, up until that point, um, feeling so much like I used to think as a little girl wishing that I wasn't born Mm -hmm. because then my mom could have the life that she deserved, you know, that she missed out on because that was so much the impression that I had been given Mm -hmm. that, we were products of this huge mistake that she had made and this huge turmoil um, life event that she had been. Did she verbalize that or was it just insinuated through comments? It was insinuated. Mm -hmm. She never actually like verbally said like you guys were a mistake, but it was just in so many ways. It was just so close to saying that. Mm -hmm. And your, Um, and your sister also, also, uh, was able to, uh, you know, you got verification or validation from your sister that you weren't, uh, alone in, in that thought process. Yeah. But it's funny because only now me and my sister, talk to each other and we have a pretty good relationship, but only now as adults, my sister's married now as adults, we um, are able to talk about it Mm -hmm. throughout our growing up together. We never talked about what was going on at home with each other. It was just like, even though we shared a room for basically the entire time that we were at home living with mom, we shared a room, but we never talked about this stuff with each other. Um, so how is your relationship? Again, it was, oh, sorry. Oh, how is your relationship growing yeah, up uh, with her at the time, and how is it uh, now? Um, at the time, it was it was good, but it was um, we were so we me and my sister were complete opposites, like night and day, in how we dealt with things and in physicality, like just everything that you could think of under the sun when it comes to comparing people. We were just the opposite so there wasn't a lot to relate to each other in that way but we had a you know a good relationship it was kind of like 
um, my sister was my protector mm-hmm. because my mom had kind of put a, um, a duty on her as the older child to protect my mom from my dad, even though she was a very small little girl. So your sister was the, um, the, the parent to the parent. Yeah. Okay. Basically. And also the, the, my mom had, uh, emotional incest with my sister too. um, kind of put that spousal, um, responsibilities on my sister mm-hmm. of like protecting and giving her the communication that she needs. Um, so did and you, being that responsible person towards her. Did your sister, not that you're, I want you to talk for your sister, but did your sister resent you? Uh, for things that weren't even uh, your responsibility, in a sense, that uh, she had to take on these roles in any sort of way? No. No, okay. No, never. She she just kind of, I think she saw me as, like, this little, this, this little person, like, uh, like a little puppy almost, but she needed to protect from, from something bigger and scarier, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Like, that's always how I felt like she saw me. She just kind of saw me as somebody that needed to be protected mm-hmm. um, from my dad, not from my mom, okay. but from my dad. Um, Cause my sister, um, and I don't blame her for this at all, but my, because my mom put this on her, my sister always felt like she had an obligation towards my mom in, in everything. Mm-hmm. So that would mean when there was a problem with me, my sister would automatically side with my mom and kind of take on that disciplinary role too. My, and even though my sister didn't really have a place in, you know, the dynamics between me and my mom in the moment, um, you know, I would say that to her. I'd be like, why is my sister a part of this? You know, it kind of doesn't really have anything to do with her. And she'd be like, well, I need her here to help me. You know, I need her here to, you know, kind of just saying reasons like, as if she, my sister was another parent, you know, to reinforce whatever she was saying or her discipline mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so my sister kind of always felt like she, she had an obligation and she needed to be loyal to my mother first and foremost over anything else. Um, so that, that kind of like, not that I ever resented my sister for that, but I, it kind of furthered, like put us further apart in us being able to have a relationship with each other. And in that way, my mom very much so alienated me and my sister from one another. Um, and kind of in so many ways, pitting one another against each other. Um, Unfortunately. So your so your sister <laughs> but now your sister was the reliable one, I guess, or uh, would be the yeah. golden child of sorts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a period. It was so hard to to pinpoint because my mom um, was alternately the hovering mother, but also the the ignoring mother. The neglectful. So she kind of alternated between those two, and she also alternated between um, through a long period of me being the golden child and my sister being the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the hovering but, part and, and then going back. Uh, 
I guess in my, in my experience, and it's not everyone's experience. Um, uh, mm-hmm. it's in, I put it in the words of it, they're there when it's convenient for them and they're not mm-hmm. there because it's, it's not convenient for them to be there at that time. Was that, mm-hmm. that your experience or no? Um, in so many ways. Yeah. Like in, in different instances. Yeah. That's my experience. Um, but I think, um, my, my mom towards the end of, you know, things coming, kind of coming to a head. I lived at home till I was 21. Um, and my sister lived at home till she was 25. Um, and my sister admitted to me that if she hadn't gotten married, she would have stayed at home with my mom. And that just says, should say everything about how much control my mom had over my sister mm-hmm. and had over me to a certain point. Um, so when we lived, um, when I was younger, throughout my childhood, um, we lived in this small town till I was 10 years old. And this was in the same town as my father. We lived in this small town until I was 10 years old. And my mom decided that we were going to move south to a bigger town um, where my aunt and uncle lived. Um, and it was quite far away. It was like 13 hours away. Um, so we moved there. Um, and that's when things started to get bad um, after we moved. And I was 10 years old and my sister was 12. My sister was only two years older than me. Um, so the first year, I was I finished grade four before we moved, and then when I when we moved, I started grade five. Um, and I finished grade five, but grade five was kind of like when the signs of things kind of started to get worse. And then as soon as middle school started, middle school started for me in grade six that's when things just went full pelt, like completely. And like, it was so bad. It started to manifest itself in me inwardly and, and outwardly. Um, so, and I think during that time, I think up till the point of me, of like, you know, me ending middle school, that's when I, became the scapegoat and my sister became the golden child Mm -hmm. um, more predominantly in situations. Um, But through middle school was horrible. (laughs) I had a nice time in elementary school. I had a lot of friends. Um, But being from my mom's religion and all that stuff, it was discouraged that I make friends at school. Um, because they weren't of the same religion. Um, and there was a bit more leniency with that when I was in elementary school. I had friends at school. Um, I wasn't allowed to hang out with them after school, um, but I did have a social life. Um, but that all changed after we moved, and especially in middle school. And um, so I didn't really have a whole lot of friends in middle school, and there was a lot of things that spoke to the neglect. Um, my mom had, um, my mom was a very beautiful person, (laughs) um, beautiful on the outside. Um, 
And if I could liken her to anybody, it would be, it would sound funny, but it would be Wonder Woman. Because just because she looked exactly like Wonder Woman, she's like the dark hair, the blue eyes. She was a gorgeous person. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, and my, when my mom would come visit me at middle school to drop off something or whatever, um, there would be all the popular kids, all the popular girls and like guys in, in middle school and stuff like that, that I desperately wanted to be acknowledged by and be friends with, you know, like the large majority of kids in my class and stuff like that would only come up to me after they saw my mom. Cause they see my mom come by and you know, she'd give me something or say hello. And then she'd leave and they would come up to me after she, you know, left or whatever. And you're like, that's your mom. And I'd be like, yeah, like, she's so beautiful. And like all, like they'd say all these things about her. Mm-hmm. And that was like the only way that I was acknowledged by them. But it was like, she was the epitome of what these popular girls wanted to grow up to be and all this stuff. And that didn't last very long because they were only interested in my mom because she was so beautiful. And, and of course I was this weird, like teenager, who like wore the same pair of pants throughout the entire duration of middle school. And like, really like they were, they were bad pair of jeans. Like they didn't fit me well. And my sister was the same. Like it's kind of a superficial subject of the type of clothes that we wore, but it is just, it plays into it because we never got like new clothes or anything or clothes that fit us properly. Um, my mom always made sure that she was very well dressed and, you know, groomed very nicely and, and everything. But me and my sister were kind of like, you know, if people would look at us, if my mom would introduce us to, you know, her work partners or whatever, you know, it would kind of be like, well, where did these kids come from? Like, it would kind of like be that. So it would be embarrassing for, I remember feeling embarrassed because there was just no likening to me to her or my sister to her because we were just like kind of these like, it sounds a little harsh, but kind of like these slummy teenagers, you know, kind of thing. Not that we wanted to be like that, but that's just the way it was, mm-hmm. you know, that's the neglect. Um, and when we did try to wear things that were, that did look good or with form fitting or like anything to do with expressing our individuality or, you know, wanting to be girly or anything like that, it was stomped on pretty quickly. Um, and I didn't understand why at all, um, but I just kind of went with it. Um, but me and my sister had different ways of dealing with this abuse that we didn't really realize was happening. Um, my sister was a very social person. She had lots of friends. She still made friends in school, even though my mom tried to shame her um, just for being social, mm-hmm. being a social person, because... After we moved, um, my mom started to isolate herself more, more and more and more. Um, and my sister dealt with it in the way that she, she still tried to be friends, but I dealt with it the opposite way where I went inward and I knew that there was something wrong, but I couldn't put a pin in it. I couldn't put words to it. And so I just, as time went on through middle school, um, it just dealt with it more inwardly, 
more and more inside to the point that I kind of developed a disassociative disorder just to deal with my reality, Mm -hmm. to just disassociate from reality um, because I didn't know how to deal with it any other way. Um, Like school was so bad, I would go and eat lunch in the bathroom or I'd spend my entire lunch in the bathroom because I didn't have any friends and I felt so uncomfortable in my own skin and there was no element to help me get over that. You know, there wasn't like, you know, um, that encouragement or that being, me even being able to talk about it with my mom because it was just kind of like my problems don't matter. Only her problems matter and my feelings weren't real. And and at this point, you probably, you have no one in your life that you can trust. No, no one. Not, not even your, not, not even your sister at this point. Cause you just are just so so far apart and you're pitted against each other. So far apart. Yeah. Just because we were such opposites and, and my sister couldn't relate to me and I couldn't relate to her. And I don't, that's not either of our faults. That's just kind of how it was. And it was just, that like possibility of us being able to help each other was just kind of the last, you know, well, at that, at that point, at, at, like at that broken. point in your life, you have no idea really what's going on because you have no experience of this situation. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I would go over to other friends' homes, I'd be like, my home mm-hmm. is a little bit different than this. And, you know, I had uh, friends to be mm-hmm. around, uh, to tell me or at least verify, validate that like things aren't normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, your mm-hmm. sister might've had that. I, we, I have no idea cause she had some friends, but you had none of that. So, and you have no one to talk to. So that's mm-hmm. very, that's very difficult. Uh, not mm-hmm. knowing if what you're dealing with is normal or not normal. I would assume, did you think you were going crazy? I did. I did think I, I thought that I was, there was something I never blamed my mom for a long time. I always blamed myself. Um, even though I knew there was something wrong with her and that she had, she had the control over what was going on with me. I still blamed myself because I thought, well, this is just, this must just be me. Like, this is just how I deal with life. Like I can't, you know, I can't hack it. You know, I can't hack life obviously. And looking back, I'm just like, this was because of the abuse. Like, this was just, you know, it wasn't me. You know, this had nothing to do with who I was as a person or my ability to deal with life. It was just survival. Mm -hmm. Surviving the moment, surviving from day to day. And that's what life turned into um, throughout middle school and through high school was just um, existing Mm-hmm. My mom's mental illness um, mentality started to to deteriorate even more with her narcissism. Um, and it just became like we had to live life with her. Like, however she was living her life, we had to do it the exact same way. So she just decided to completely isolate herself from the world. She was still going to church and stuff like that, but she wasn't socializing with anybody at church. Um anything like that. And so she would shut herself in the house. She wouldn't like, we couldn't go out and do things. It was like pulling teeth for me and my sister to want to go out and associate with people, um, 
even in like the church community, like kids who were like, cause we were only allowed to hang out with kids who were also in church, not kids who were, you know, in school or anything like that. Um, which added a very difficult dynamic to my life, but that's another story. Um, but it was so hard. And my sister tried even harder than I did to have people over even. And when my sister did try to have people over, my mom would go into rages against her um, for bringing people over because my mom wouldn't want people in the house. She wouldn't want people to see the house. She wouldn't want to have to talk to people. Um, She made my sister feel like she was a horrible person for wanting or betraying her for wanting people to come over. Mm -hmm. My mom would like, people would come knock on the door to come visit us. And my mom would just, not let us answer the door and my mom would shut the blinds. And so we were like forced to live this with her. We were teenagers. We were growing and we weren't allowed to be individuals. <laughs> we weren't allowed to socialize. Um, we weren't allowed to, you know, we, we did manage to get, you know, some hanging out with people and, and, but it, it took a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It wasn't without a painstaking process to get there. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were trapped in, um, in her prison that she was creating. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Um, so after high school, was, Oh, sorry. Continue. Continue. Uh, no, go ahead. Oh no. After high school, um, you, you left home at, uh, 21. Uh, how, what happened, mm-hmm. uh, a- after the fact when you were out of the house, uh, for the first uh, time away from everything, uh, was there a sense of relief? And uh, what what were your relationships with people like after? And uh, that's pretty much my, my question. Um, well, that's a story in itself. Um, I didn't leave. I was kicked out okay. um, when I was 21. Um so the leading up to to that, I, I'm sorry. I, do you want me to like? I can I can go past. Oh no you know, no after no, I was no 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 no! T- was tell, like. tell your story in every whatever way. You, I was just uh, curious. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So leading up to that point, um, <sighs> I was. Um, what had happened was um, it was the year of 2013. Um, I think November of 2013 is when, um, between November of 2013 and June of 2014 was the period where everything was leading to a head, you know, to to coming to, uh, um, an end, um, unbeknownst to me. Um, that's when the kicking out started, her kicking me out of the house and locking the door. Um, so through the winter months, um, sometimes I would leave on my own just to get away from her. And I would go sit outside in the dead of winter for like a half an hour just to let her cool down from whatever rage that she was in. And for me to kind of get some solace away from her. And then I would come back inside, but I spent most of my time in the bathroom or in my room. I would go to work and I would come home and I'd go straight to the bathroom or I'd go straight to my room and I'd stay in there 
until the evening was over just to avoid her, Mm -hmm. just to avoid getting into any sort of fight because it would be over anything. Like it was just a fight would happen over dishes or anything. She would try to find something to get into a fight with me over and it would be full blown, like sufficient crying and hyperventilating over, you know, the smallest things. So I would do anything to avoid it. Um, and there was one point where she did kick me out. I was wandering the streets a lot when she kicked me out. There was points where I would just leave the house and go wander the streets because I just didn't, I needed to escape, but I had nowhere to go. Um, and I would end up at like a coffee shop and I would sit in there before it closed and my sister would come find me, um, and tell me to come back home. And, you know, by, by my, my mom would send her to go find me. Um, and I would just be so fearful of going back home, but I had nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was one specific night where she did kick me out and this was December, January, and she locked the door and it was at nine or 10 o'clock at night. No, no, no. It was much later than that. It was like midnight, something like that. Um, and so my grandma lived not too far within a reasonable walking distance from us. And I had nowhere to go. It's the middle of the night, middle of winter. Um, so I walked all the way to my grandma's and my grandma lived kind of like out in the country a little bit. So I had to walk all the way to her place. And I remember like, as I was walking to her place, like hearing like coyotes and stuff like that. So it was a bit freaky. Um, and I went to her place and, and I managed to, I knocked on her door when I got there and managed to wake her up and I had a place to stay the night. And then the next day I walked back home. Um, and then right the last time she kicked me out for good, um, it was over, uh, lid to a piece of Tupperware. (laughs) Uh, she had asked me, uh, where the uh, Tupperware was to this lid and she showed it to me. And I didn't say anything, and I turned around, and I went and walked to my room because I left the piece of Tupperware in my room. And as soon as I turned around, she went into this full-on rage <laughs> against me. And I didn't know what I did wrong. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know. And what she, what she said the reason was for her getting into this anger uh, against me was that I was being disrespectful to her because I turned around. And I walked away from her and I tried to explain to her while well, I was turning around to go get the piece of Tupperware that you were wanting to go, you know, to, to put together from the lid. And it was over something so silly. And, and she just, there was no reasoning with her. And I apologized and I apologized. And there was a point that had reached that when I apologized, I might as well have been telling my mother to F off or whatever, like saying sorry, just made her angrier. And there was no reasoning with her. And so she chased me into my room and I tried to get away from her. Um, She managed to push her way into the room and she yelled and told me to get my thing. Oh no, she told me to um, give her the house key that I had. 
Um, and I didn't want to give it to her because I knew what that meant. Um, but she managed to get it. My, I managed, she managed to convince me to get it, give it to her. So I gave it to her and, um, she didn't let me get any of my things <laughs> for, I didn't have a car. Um, but thankfully I didn't have a car for a long time, but thankfully like a few months before I, she kicked me out for good. I had bought a car. So I had something to go with. Um, but she didn't let me grab any of my things. She, she kicked me out. She locked the door and that was for good. I, uh, my sister couldn't do anything. And I remember my sister just looking at me, like, I remember looking at her, like, help me. Um, and she just looked at me like, like she couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Like she kind of, you know, still sided with mom. Like I was kind of doing it to myself. Um, and so I, I left, I got in my car and I was like hyperventilating, crying, not realizing, like not not being able to completely wrap my brain around what just happened. You know, even though I had been going through this, there had been a leading up to this. I had been kicked out before, but I could always come back. Not that I wanted to, but I didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, so I called my aunt and uncle and I said to them, like through hyperventilating tears, this is what's happening. Like, please talk to her. Please like help me. I don't have anywhere else to go right now. Um, and I called my aunt and uncle who lived very, very far away from us. So there was really nothing that they could do other than call her. So they called my other uncle who lived in the same town as us. Um, and, um, I guess, I don't know what the, if he called my mom, I think she did. I don't know what the conversation was, but I ended up leaving the house. And I went to a hotel parking lot and I ended up sleeping in my car for, I think, a week until my uncle came and found me um, and said, hey, like, you can't be living in your car. And I was like, well, I don't really have anywhere else to go. <laughs> this isn't by choice. Um and it wasn't like I had people at work that I was friends with and my family, I didn't really feel like helped me at all. Um, my uncle came and found me, but it felt like more like we need to take care of this situation so that we can save face with people who know us mm -hmm. and the community and the church and all that stuff. It wasn't so much like I, you need help. Like it was just kind of like, we need to fix this, you know, kind of thing. And so my uncle managed to um, convince my grandma to stay with her because my mom had gotten to my grandma before I did because mm -hmm. I went to talk to my grandma and tell her, like, this is happening. And my grandma just kind of took sides with my mom and said that I was being disrespectful and I needed to, you know, in a kind way. My grandma isn't a mean person, but she's very much... Um, her children can do no wrong mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, and so I just left my grandma, my grandma's, and I was just like, I can't, I can't reason with you either. Like, you're not listening to me. Um, so 
my uncle Kurt, after that had happened, my uncle Kurt convinced my grandma to let me stay with her. And I ended up staying with my grandma for a month. And then, um, I took my last check from work. Um, I took everything that I had for my last check and I took the first like crappy job that I could find in the next town that was like 45 minutes away. And I rented like a small studio and I packed my car full of all the stuff that I had and I left town, you know, and I moved away. Mm-hmm. How did that um, feel? And I told my grandma, um, I don't know. It was, it was an odd feeling. It felt sad. It felt sad and, and confusing, but also in a small way liberating because I was finally getting away from everything. But the way it all happened was not how I had pictured. I mean, I don't know what I expected, <laughs> but it was not the way anybody should have to, you know, leave home. So how many years ago was like that? that? Six years. Six years ago? Okay. Yeah, give or take. So did they try to suck you back into the family at that point once you went away? No. 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 I I very much got the feeling like um, my family didn't care. Like I only lived 45 minutes away Mm -hmm. and I came back into town to visit my grandma and my sister and stuff like that. And my mom, surprisingly, I would visit my mom, um, but not for a long time, not, not for at least a period of time. But um, I kind of came back into the picture with my mom be- when my sister started dating, because that's kind of when everything fell apart between my mom and my sister. Um, my sister got a boy in her life and my mom didn't like that. And uh, there was a fallout between the two of them. So my mom uh, brought me you know, you know, was nice to me and kind of brought me back into her life. Did you realize what was going on at the time? Yeah, did, she, did you realize at the time what she was yeah. doing? Oh, you did. Yeah, I did, but I didn't want it. I didn't want to, uh, I needed my mom. You know, I, I, I was willing to just take the fault for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and just so I could have my mom because I felt so alone. And I felt so that gave you the so like a love I you still, needed to feel. Yeah, I yeah. still did not know, not uh, no, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> but I was like the pining for it, you know, the possibility of it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and she was being nice to me because she needed an ally against my sister, and I was the only one she could talk bad about my sister too. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't really accept her bad talk about my sister, it was kind of me trying to mediate and being like, trying to convince her to deal with things in a proper way with my sister and kind of bring her back to reality. And being like, well, you know, and my mom was super nice to me, you know, because she didn't want to lose me with that ally. You know, it wasn't because she wanted me back in her life. It was because she needed an ally against my sister and this big wedding that was happening. Um, and um, that's kind of when I came back. My sister kind of, you know, I had a relationship with my sister when she started dating, you know. And I don't think, I don't know if it was because 
my sister needed an ally against my mom, you know, but that's, it's the timing there, you know, like I didn't feel any interest from them after all that has happened until this event in both of their lives started to happen. And I didn't really get any communication. Like nobody came to visit me really. Um, and so I felt like really, really rejected by like, and my mom's side of the family is, again, it's quite it's extensive. And throughout the time that we lived in this bigger town, most of my mom's family moved from the smaller town to where we'd be living. So we were kind of like most of the family was in the same town. Um, so I felt like I mean, nobody really cared, you know, nobody really uh, was interested in me and, and you know, horrible thing that had happened. Mm-hmm. And nobody asked me, you know, what happened. It was kind of like they all had listened to what my mom had was saying about me. Um, and they kind of just decided that that's the way it was. You know, nobody asked me, you know, what your perspective on this, you know. Did you try um, uh, to tell the, your side of the story or did you just know uh, that there was no point? I just knew there was no point yeah. and I didn't trust my family. I didn't trust them either. Yeah. Cause they, cause they, cause they would probably go right invitation. back to your mom. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I think so. Just, yeah. just, just, just all the signs, all the signs were just pointing in that direction that they were, they just honestly didn't care to ask me what my side of it was or what really happened. You know, that I wasn't a problem child and that my mother, I had put my mother through so much, you know. So, um, so what, what happened, happened uh, for you to finally go uh, no contact with your mom? Um, it wasn't until my, one of my relationships, Boys, being in relationships with boys um, was what brought me out of the control that my mom had. Mm-hmm. My first relationship is what I got in my first relationship right before I got kicked out. So that's kind of the reason why I got kicked out. Um, that wasn't the surface level reason, but really the core of it was. And I hid that relationship from my mother because I knew she would take it away from me. So I kept it a secret as much as I could. Um, but I didn't, obviously didn't do a very good job. She figured it out. Um, and, um, but that's kind of, she kind of knew that I was done. I realized her for what she was and I was done kind of dealing with it. Um, as much as I was trying my best to, to survive it, you know, without creating conflict. Um, so, uh, it wasn't until one of my relationships that I relayed my story to, and I relayed my story to all the guys in my life and they, 99% of them said, you know, she's insane. She's that's horrible. You know, they all validated what I went through, but it wasn't me being crazy. Um, but it wasn't until one of my relationships that he said, that sounds like narcissism. And I was like, what? Like, I had never heard that term. Like, because we use that term kind of 
colloquially, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like kind of, um, so I didn't know that that was kind of a, a classified mental illness, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. I thought it was just kind of like an ego problem that some people had. Um, but I looked into it and he kind of relayed to me kind of more what he knew about it and confirmed for me that it was this. And he introduced me to like Reddit, um, mm-hmm. the Reddit group raised by narcissists. And I, uh, looked into that and I did more reading and that's where it all kind of snowballed and like started to become more solidified in my mind that this is what it was. And I started doing more research and he kind of, um, presented the idea of maybe you shouldn't talk to her anymore. You know, maybe you need to cut her out of your life because she was still wreaking havoc in my life. Mm. You know, even after all this time, even though I had moved to, um, even farther away than I was where I was living. I like to live four hours away from where the town that I grew up in. Um, and I just couldn't quite wrap my brain around that idea quite yet at the time. Um, but the more reading that I did and the more, uh, things that I learned and like podcasts that I listened to and all this stuff, I just, just finally came to the conclusion that I need to cut her out of my life because I still had conversations with her sometimes on the phone and it would end with me getting off the phone and it would just ruin my day or it would ruin my week. And I would be in a dark place for like an entire week till I could, you know, get back up on the horse and move on and and be okay and pull myself out of it, you know, but she would even over the phone, she could put me back in that sick place. Um, so I finally decided that I didn't, you know, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And she had no consequences either for what she had done. Mm-hmm. I had, I had given her no consequences for what she had done. Um, and she wanted to act like nothing had happened. You know, she didn't. And I tried to talk to her about it and being like, Hey, this has been a longstanding issue that we haven't really talked about. And this is a problem, you know, like, and I, I needed her to just listen. And I didn't even get through the first like few sentences of relaying that day that she had kicked me out for good. Um, and she just instantly started gaslighting me and saying, you know, that's not what happened. And she told me that I wanted, she wanted me to come home and I chose to to leave. Um, and started making me trying to make me question what had happened. And so when she started doing that, I just cut the conversation short and I was just like, you know what? No, like there's no more of this. I I can't even, you know, she didn't want to talk about it. And, and even when I said like, mom, do you know where I went when she kicked me out? You know, do you know where I went? And she said, I don't want to know because it hurts me too much. And I said, well, it happened to me. It didn't happen to you. It happened to me and it hurt you too much to know where I went. And I asked my sister, I said, did she talk about me after I left? Like after she made me leave, like she say anything like good or bad, you know, did she say anything? And she said, no, like, no, she didn't talk about you. It was like, you never existed. And as much as that hurt, I totally believed it 
I totally believed it because that was just the the vibe and the the outward um, outward energy and and that I was getting from from her was mm-hmm. that she didn't care and I was like I never existed she didn't care where I went or what happened you know like I I could have. I could have gotten like murdered or like robbed. Anything could have happened when you're sleeping on the street and you're sleeping in your car. Um, but she didn't care and she didn't want to know um, because it hurt her too much to even talk about it. Um, so that's when I just kind of blocked her number and I stopped talking to her. Um, How long ago was that? Um, that was, I think, two years ago or a year ago that I had that conversation with her. Not too sure. I think a year ago. And since then, have you been uh, going to any sort of therapy or, uh, have you, have you been, have you been coping? Um, mostly I coped through my relationship being able to talk about it through them. And that's what part of the reason why it made my relationship so unhealthy because mm-hmm. I was carrying all that baggage and I put a lot, everything that I had lost into those relationships with guys. Um, that love that I didn't get from my mother and that acceptance and that understanding and the validation, just everything. And, you know, I, like, I never had a, like, I just never had that love, not from my dad, not from my mom and, you know, not having very many friends in my life to give me that validation either. It was, my life was very isolated. And because that's what I found, where I found the most acceptance, I kind of made that my entire world was just that relationship because I was able to be comfortable with myself in it and, and how get did, that love and acceptance. How did that go? <laughs> uh, each relationship has its own ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but you learned. But I learned. Yes, I learned. And, and the, the beginning, the beginning of like the more of the first, couple or few relationships were very immature, mm-hmm. like in, incredibly immature because in my mind, I always viewed myself as like a few years behind in my maturity. Like I thought or what it was, like I would be like 21, but I'd actually be like 19 in my brain, you know, because I hadn't had, I didn't have those experiences to bring me there, mm-hmm. to bring me to my age. Um, so it was like just now, after I got kicked out, was I able to actually live my life and figure stuff out and make stupid decisions and, and grow emotionally in my maturity. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of them ended very poorly, but they were also very immature themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like you, you, you learned from all of everything that happened that you were able to, examine exactly what you, uh, how you acted or reacted and you were able to build from there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been, I've been frustrated with myself because of looking back and 
I beat myself up sometimes because of how long it's taken me to get to certain points. Well, how old are you but now? That's just me. Like I'm harsh on myself. I'm 26 now. Yeah, just, you're. you're I just only, turned 26. You're only 26. I I will remember I went and I did this uh, program about. Uh, I'm going to say eight years ago, maybe seven, mm-hmm. maybe six or seven years ago, six, seven, or eight years ago, mm-hmm. and I was like mm-hmm. uh, 35 or 36 at the time. And I was the youngest person in this program and I was telling them all these things like had gone on and what I was learning. And everyone at that program was like, oh, I wish I was uh, like you at your age uh, doing these things. And I wish I had the knowledge that you're getting right now of, of what you've, how you've been in life. And so that happened to me and I was 35 or 36. So I'm now I'm saying to you that you're 26, um, yeah. that you, you know, you're in a real good uh, I know all these terrible things happen, but the fact that you're dealing with it at the age of 26, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, which is, uh, which is good. You know, you're, you have a long uh, life ahead of you and now you're unpacking these things at a, at a young age and uh, learning how to deal with them is, uh, I mean, try not to think that you're old or beat yourself up about it because in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you're young and a lot of people never deal with these things. A lot of people, when they do deal with them, mm-hmm. it's very late in, uh, life and they've missed out on a lot of things. So, um, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, the one thing I want you to remember is that you're working on it. It's a work in progress. There'll be two steps forward, five steps back and everything, but it, you've, so far in your life, it sounds like you've always picked yourself up, dust yourself off, and gotten through to the next step. If you've had very difficult times, uh, but you do it, and you're learning, and you've done it all yourself, um, and uh, that is something that not a lot of people can do, and you've done it. So 26, you should um, be proud of yourself, and uh, I know it's easier to say don't kick yourself or anything like that. Cause I know people tell me that all the time and it's impossible sometimes to stop yourself from doing it. But just remember you, you've come a long way in a very short amount of time you've done and you're aware of what's going on and, and you know, you know what you have to do in, in your mind. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. It's just, uh, I think I'm, I've always have, always have been, and still working on trying to not be so hard on myself. But I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. That does mean a lot. So, uh, are you um, like for as far as seeing like a professional uh, to mm-hmm. uh, work out some other things that you might not want to work out, or uh, have you gone that route, or is it that uh, is it too expensive, or, or things like that uh, to do for you right now? Um, well, yeah, I think uh, money's always kind of been a little bit of a, um, I don't want to say a problem, but I just never always found the money to, to, to do therapy. So sometimes it would be too expensive. I did go to therapy for a little while. Um, but I do need to keep going because <laughs> it, it would, it's kind of the only thing that I think is really going to help me as much as. Um, everything has its place as much as the research and um, learning so much about what narcissistic personality disorder is and how it manifests itself in its victims and 
um, the behavior and, and everything as much as that helps. I think therapy does have a large place in, in healing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that I, I'm definitely always on my mind to so pursue. As far as your healing has gone, um, mm-hmm. in your mind, what, like, uh, what kind of things do you think need to be healed still? Uh, you, you have the understanding that you need, you need healing still, but you're still getting triggered by a lot of things. Yeah. Well, I kind of yeah, triggered totally, totally. That's a great word. Um, because my mom still tries, I mean, even this was not like a week ago, not even a week ago, my mom still tried to text me. Um, and, um, I had kind of left the religious community that my mom had raised us in because I couldn't separate the two, you know, like I have my own issues with it, but, um, my mom kind of, there was a bind, you know, like, a uh, it was too melded together. The growing up in this specific religion and my mom's emotional abuse, my mom's abuse, it was just too together. So I haven't quite separated either. And I'm still getting triggered by, you know, my grandma tries to stay in contact with me and my grandma is very much, involved with my mom so I my grandma's very nice person but she's also very ignorant and she's very neutral irritatingly neutral when it comes to um problems that are obvious between me and my mom Mm -hmm. and she tells me to like you know call your mother and you know she'd love to hear from you and she you know she deserves she deserves a boost and she could use a you know a call from you and you know it would do her heart so much good and I'm just I hold myself back because there's no point in me saying to her, like, I don't want to talk to mom. Like there's, there's just no reasoning with my grandma. And uh, well, the thing I would want to say, the thing I would want to say for you is what about me? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, the, the whole much. thing is like your mom, this, your mom, that, what, like the, really I'm the child. <laughs> what what yeah. about, what about me? And you know, but the I, thing is, Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Continue. Well, the thing is, my mom is involved, my grandma, my, in, in, in almost, in a lot of things. But towards the end, she involved my grandma in, in the issues when I was living at home. And there was one point where she involved my grandma. My mom had said she had seen a demon at night when she was sleeping. And this was so ludicrous to me that this was even coming up. But I came home from work. And my grandma was standing in the living room, and so was my mom. And my grandma asked me to sit down. And my grandma was like, the vibe of my grandma was going to be the mediator. But I didn't know what was going on. And my grandma told me when my mom had said that she had seen a demon at night. And my grandma, in so many words, insinuated that I was the reason my mom saw a demon. That I was reading literature or like something I was doing something wrong and it was just so insane to me like absolutely like this was a like a madhouse that this was even coming up but that's how um ignorant my grandma is to my mom's behavior and letting my mom actually blame me for 
that type of stuff that is just so insane. Um, and that's why I just don't feel like there's any point in, and I feel like I'm trying to get to a point where I'd, I'm thinking about cutting off contact with my grandma because as she, much she, as she's just like a flying know, monkey uh, for her. She is. Yeah. She is totally, she's a flying monkey and there's, there's nothing I can do to help her see my side of things. And it's, she pities me and it's like, she thinks from my, my mom making her think that I'm a broken person and that there's something wrong with me. And it's like, every time I talk to her on the phone, I have to convince her otherwise, you know, that I'm happy that I'm, I'm good. Like things are going on good in my personal life, you know, for, for me, aside from my past and all that, like things are good. Like Mm -hmm. I'm okay. And it's like, I have to convince her every time. And and how's your relationship with your uh, sister now? It's good. Like both of us are, are using, um, each other. Like we're, we're talking, we, we live, um, she still lives in the same town that we grew up in. Um, and she's married now, but we talk on the phone, you know, every so often. And, but your sister still, your your sister still talks, uh, talks to your mom. No. Okay. She doesn't. Okay. I I introduced narcissism and um, narcissistic personality disorder to my sister. My sister didn't have any idea what it was. And when I figured out everything, I introduced it to her. And my sister was having a lot of problems. My mom sabotaged her wedding. (laughs) Like, that's a whole story in itself, too. Um, But she, that's really where things they both went opposite directions and my mom kind of went to war against my sister in a way. Um, and my sister was still having problems with my mom because my mom was still wanting to act like nothing had happened with my sister. And my sister was trying her best. And my mom lived right across the street from my sister when she got married, which wasn't healthy at all. But, um, there was, one instance where she decided to cut off contact with my mom because I had introduced that idea of just maybe you need to like just block her number and not talk to her. Um, but my sister had gone over to my mom's house with her husband to drop off a bottle of wine. And just as a, like, you know, thinking about you kind of gift. And my mom didn't answer the door she usually didn't answer the door because she would be obviously at home, but she wouldn't answer the door to her own children most of the time. Even when I would come visit, I'd drive 45 minutes to come visit her and she wouldn't answer the door for no good reason. Um, and so they, she, they left because she didn't answer the door, but they left the bottle of wine. And when they went home, my mom went into a narcissistic rage, texting her, telling her, all these things, all these horrible things about how she doesn't have the same relationship with her that she used to before she started dating her husband and that she needs to grow up and, you know, just attacking her even over my sister, just leaving a bottle of wine and, and like, here you go. And my, maybe that wasn't the smartest because we hadn't quite realized it. And my mom for a very long time, especially throughout our teenage lives, had an alcoholic problem. She has, she's an alcoholic. Um, but it was a gift. And my mom just went into a rage and said a lot of hurtful things to my sister. 
And to the point where my mom, my mom had always kept uh, memorabilia of our school and all this stuff, like in like a box. Um, so at least we kind of felt like that was special to her. Um, you know, pictures and stuff like that and stuff we had drawn in school and like stuff from throughout our school lives and yearbooks and all this stuff she had kept. Um, and she gathered all my sister's things and walked over to her house and dropped them on her doorstep and said she didn't need those anymore. Um, and that was really hurtful to my sister. Mm -hmm. And it was like, the same thing she had done to me just in a different way. Like you don't matter anymore at all. Like you don't exist to me, you know, even though you could have been giving and all my sister did was give her a gift, you know, you know, just, just the, that's all she did. She didn't like provoke it in any way. And that's how sick my mother is. She's mm. just so sick. And, um, it's so hard to deal with because now her texting me, she's trying to like love bomb me mm -hmm. because I'm keeping her at way more than an arm's length and I'm not talking to her. And she's trying to tell me that she loves me so much. And if I just want to talk, she'll just listen and trying to can make me doubt what she can do. You know, that I'm being unreasonable by not, taking the opportunity to listen, like to talk and her just listen and to resolve things. So, so and I've you, tried that already. I've, I've tried to talk to her. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Did you put her on block? I did. Yeah. yeah. But my phone, I can still see the messages. She can text me through my phone. For some reason I can, I discovered that I can still see the messages that she sent, but it's in a blocked folder. Um, which isn't awesome because I'd rather just not see them, yeah. but sometimes the temptation is too great to just look at them. Yeah, of course. Um, so I read them and I read that like the other day when she, that was the last text that she sent me was just like, if you just want to talk, I'll just listen. Like, I love you so much, like heart emojis and all this stuff. And like it caught me for a second, like it tugged on my heart for a second. And I kind of started to tear up because I wanted like the child in me just kind of came out for like two seconds. And I just wanted so much to believe her and to be like, you know, we can finally like at least let this, I can let this all out to her mm -hmm. and maybe she'll finally get it, you know? And like, if I, even if I were able to say all this to her, it's, doesn't mean that I'm going to forgive her. Like that would just be the beginning of everything, but she's not, she says she is, but she's not willing and never has been willing to even step in that direction. And when I left, she never looked over her shoulder. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't care where I was. She didn't care where I went. She didn't care what was happening to me. A lot of bad stuff happened in my life after she kicked me out. I had to break back into the house in order to get my stuff when she wasn't there after she kicked me out. Cause she locked the house. I had to break in. <laughs> I didn't break any windows, but I just, you know, like took the screen off and like crawled into her bedroom window in order to get some of my things. And I was 21 at this point. Like mm -hmm. even when me and my sister were old enough and paying for our own things, she would take away our phones 
and she wouldn't give them back. Even though we were, they were our phones, we were paying for them, we were in our 20s, she would still take them away as discipline, and she wouldn't give them back. Um, so, yeah, like... How are you doing now? It's so hard. Now? Um, I'm a lot... I, I, I'm a lot better than I was. I, my viewpoint on myself, I've gone through so many stages of trying to come out of that very sick viewpoint on myself. I viewed myself, um, did such a number on my Mm self-esteem and, you know, it was kind of like that took a backseat because all of this turmoil and all this drama and events with my mother was just the forefront of my life. So me not having good self-esteem as much as it was always in my head and torturing me and me trying to deal with it internally always took a backseat to to that. So I, I never got a, a chance to just like even take a step towards feeling like, you know, I can have confidence in myself and like I can, you know, I don't have to be fearful of taking on, you know, the world even because it was like growing up, the world wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. You know, the world wasn't mine. It was everybody else's. Everybody was superior to me because of that. I wasn't allowed to be a part of the world. You know, I wasn't, you know, I didn't go to college. I didn't even have the, the, you know, hope or the the idea of like, Hey, maybe I'm going to like go to college and have friends and like, you know, have these life experiences that some kids, have like a lot of kids have I was just like no you know that wasn't for me that wasn't mine I couldn't I didn't go to prom I didn't have a grad ceremony because my mom didn't care Mm -hmm. she didn't care about my grad ceremony so I just skipped it as much as I wanted to go um so now (laughs) now I feel like I've come a long way trying my best to view myself in a whole new light and not seeing myself as, as that abused person. Um, and the things that I saw in the mirror and that were manifesting themselves outwardly, the abuse was manifesting itself outwardly in me. So looking in the mirror, it was hard to look at myself. So it was just like, that was the light that I shed on myself, you know, no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, it always kind of stuck with me as much as I tried to get rid of it. Um, and I feel like now, I've managed to get rid of it, you know, a large part of it, at least a large part of it. So is your biggest struggle your own self-esteem right now? Um, I think so. I think at least that's one of my biggest struggles is my self-esteem. Um, but a lot of things I hadn't, a lot of things about my personality I hadn't accessed. Mm-hmm. Um, because my mom would always say, you girls have very strong personalities. And she would say that like, that was the worst thing in the world because she want us to, you know, turn back into our weak selves so that she could continue bullying us, you know, bullying the weak version of ourselves. So we weren't allowed to even access our personalities and things that we might have these attributes in our individual, you know, um, personalities we couldn't access and nourish and let grow. It was just like, you know, you being, you know, assertive in any way 
you know, in a, in any good way really was, was bad, mm-hmm. you know, like having a strong personality and like to normal people that would sound like a compliment, but growing up, we thought that that was just like the worst thing that she could say. One of the worst things she oh, could yeah, say. Cause she wanted that, to, she wanted to make you meek. So she pointed out that you yeah. shouldn't be this way. So you just succumb to whatever she wanted you to do. Exactly. Exactly. Like we were, she was, and by saying that she was comparing us to our dad, like uh-huh. our dad had a strong personality. And so it was like, you're like your father. And, you, you know, and dad was like the worst person in our mind. So it was like, we don't want to be like dad. So like, well, whatever you want, mom, like whatever you want kind of thing. You, you, I didn't want to interrupt you earlier uh, while you were uh, telling your story, but there was one story that you told um, where it, it resonated a lot with me because I, I wrote down on my, on my piece of paper. Uh, it was that your Tupperware mm-hmm. story. And because uh, it reminded me of a story with my brother. Um, mm-hmm. And mine was pretty similar, uh, but it was over milk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I had taken the milk out of the fridge. And I went into a different room because I was, had a glass of milk and I had cookies with me and I knew that I would want more than one glass of milk while having these cookies, but the glass is only so big. Mm -hmm. So I brought the carton of milk with me and that turned into, uh, the milk was in the, is not in the proper place. So when you told your story about the Tupperware not being, where it's supposed to be, I just, for me, it was just this giant flashback of, of my, of my life, um, dealing with Mm -hmm. someone over something so small and so Mm -hmm. insignificant. It had nothing to do with anything. It was just milk. And as you said, when you're, when you were talking and you said it was just Tupperware, it gave me, Mm -hmm. it was like a deja vu moment. And I was thrown back into my home or my parents' home and uh, it started a fist fight. It started a, it started not just a fist fight, a brawl uh, where, yeah. uh, you know, I, I was being intimidated and I was being shoved or I started getting poked at and shoved around and physically imposed upon. And I had no other choice at that point to uh, try to assert myself back, knowing that in my case, the person's temper was terrible and if I was to push yeah. back, I had to go the whole way. I couldn't go halfway because if I only went halfway, I was toast. And mm-hmm. uh, because with my brother, it was more if I didn't put him down and he wasn't like out, <laughs> he was going to get back up and be worse than it was to begin with. So if for some reason that day I picked my battle to poke back and it was a brawl. like you would never have seen um you know stairs were like my like he was at the top of the stairs i pushed him and uh Mm -hmm. on his way down as he was about to fall the whole entire way like i saw it in slow motion and he reached up with his hand Mm -hmm. and he had he was he was always like unkempt and gross in my mind he had like dirt under his nails and like he clawed he somehow got a hold of my lip as he was falling and he grasped my uh, mouth and uh, held on for dear life. If you could picture one guy standing straight up and another guy on a, on let's say a 45 degree angle, holding on, mm-hmm. clawed back up and then beat the living <laughs> crap out of me 
until it got broken mm-hmm. up and I got yelled at for, for starting the fight when my mom came in and broke it up. But it, it, sorry, I just had to go off on that tangent because it was so similar as to point out for some types of these people, uh, it could be anything. It could just be the mood that they are in. Um, mm-hmm. and it sets them, it was something sets them off and then you become public enemy mm-hmm. number one for some reason. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sorry, I it's interrupted. So, um, I th- no, no, don't be sorry. Like it, it's so, um, it's so crazy making, like, it's just like, that's the, that's the behavior, you yeah. know, like it, and it can make you feel insane because you try to think logically about it and there is no logic to it. No, yeah, because I, I looked, you, you didn't have friend like a lot of friends. So when I would go with my friends, like my friends would validate, like, that's crazy. Like they see mm-hmm. the behavior. You, your, 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 mm-hmm. your problem was that you didn't have anyone to validate. That's the very difficult mm-hmm. uh, to deal with. Mm-hmm. So um, right, right now, I guess before we wind down, um, how do you feel how, this whole entire conversation? Is this the first time you've verbalized everything? Yeah. I mean, I, aside from me talking to my sister about stuff, this is really the, the first time that I've, and I think it's so awesome that you, you've created kind of a platform for people to express their stories and what happened to them. Because for so long, I felt like they're <laughs> I was looking towards my family and I resented them so much because we so desperately wanted at least one of them to be like, Hey, like what happened? You know, like what happened? You know, but nobody did, you know, except for my sister because we both went through the same thing. So this is the first time that I've had an opportunity to kind of actually verbalize my complete, you know, sorry. I have so many other stories, but that would take, <laughs> a whole day to go through. <laughs> Unfortunately, so, that would take a whole day. So going um, going forward, um, how do you feel? How do you feel going forward from now of how you'll do things or operate or what you'll work on or how you're going to go from here? I feel I feel good. I still have a lot to learn about um, about NPD. Like, there's just so many things that have come. You know, I thought I learned everything, and then there was, like, a new term that totally resonated with what I remember and what I went through. So I feel like that learning helps me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, um, hearing other people's stories, too, and I listen to podcasts. I listen, I've, like, listened to almost all your episodes of, of um, people's stories and, and all of that stuff. Um, and you go on Reddit and I, and I love raised by raised by narcissists on Reddit, that subreddit. Yeah. Uh, I love that, that, that subreddit. That too. That too. And I've been able to ask people questions on that, which has been totally helpful. Um, but I feel like, um, I want to get to a point cause one of my, one of my biggest fears was, you know, I don't want to have kids because I don't want to do to them what my mom did to me. I am so afraid that I'm going to be like my mother. And, and if I ever found out that I, I was even close to doing to my children, my own flesh and blood, what she did to me, then, you know, I just don't know how I would cope with that. So I know that I'm not like her because I you know because of so many reasons, but it still has been a fear of mine. So 
I feel good in how much I'm learning and therapy that I am pursuing and how big my desire is to move on from this mm-hmm. and for this not to be my life and to be the best person that I can be that if I have children that I'm, you know, the best person for them and that they have everything, you know, that they deserve and that they need in their life to have a happy life, you know, well, so you're doing everything. Well, you're doing everything at at a, a a young age. Not a lot of people would be doing what you're doing right now uh, to unpack everything. So you have a head start on I'm going to say ninety nine point nine percent of society. So you should feel proud <laughs> about that. Well, that's good. And, no, you that's really good. do. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. walk around in the fog and they're reactive and they never do anything or. or or do anything about it in their life just mm-hmm. as the conti- continuous uh, pattern that repeats over and over and over again. And you're, uh, you yeah. know, you're at a point where you're bre- you want to break this pattern before uh, it begins. Mm-hmm. The best thing that happened probably is having those three relationships that uh, quickly in, the, in that amount of time that all uh, didn't work for various reasons for you to figure mm-hmm. out right away. Um, that this is going to be a problem. Imagine if you went on and you didn't have a relationship right away. You didn't have one for five years and then you didn't have another one for another two and then another two for after. It would probably take it like nine years in that sense to figure out, oh, this is a pattern. But you got through that pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so you should be proud that you're already where you're at. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks and for saying that. So uh, if you have any last words for everyone before we... Uh, say your goodbyes and I'll talk to you a little bit after. Um, I think the one thing I've noticed and I hope other people realize this too is when you grow up or you are in a relationship with somebody like a narcissist um, and a lot of the time you're gaslighted. I've noticed something about myself that I, that has happened to me so much. I gaslight myself. And that was a lot of a part of my mentality and my thinking was convincing myself that I was wrong mm-hmm. and that, that what I, what I thought happened really didn't happen or that, you know, how I felt about things wasn't the right way to feel about things, even though it was very clear that it was wrong. Um, I was, I was right in feeling that way and that what happened was wrong. Um, so I hope, people realize that within themselves because that can be so damaging. It's one of the worst things that somebody can do to you. And it's the worst thing you can do to yourself. And so it's only now am I like pinpointing it, but I hope that other people have enough um, strength within themselves to realize that and to know that like, don't let anybody decide for you who you are. You know, don't let anybody make you think you know that they know who you are you know when it comes from a narcissist you know when it comes from a negative person um because they're just (laughs) so from people like that they're just so wrong whatever they think about you is just is wrong so don't don't ever believe them what they make you believe about yourself well, that's, it. that's all the advice I have right now. Well, thank you, Paige, for sharing your story uh, with us today. And um, it's uh, this has been uh, 
Chad with Paige. Thanks for listening to uh, this episode. And that was my interview with Paige. And as you can tell, a uh, strong, brave a woman who did everything on her own. And that is not an easy thing to do, uh, to not be connected to really, besides her sister, but really to not be connected to uh, any part of her family and uh, to not have that much uh, help as far as therapy and uh, those things go and to come to terms with everything that has happened. It is such a, at such a young age. Uh, she's got a head start on a lot of people to deal with uh, her problems and to move forward with her life, and she should be very proud of herself and uh, for how far she's come. And we wish nothing but the best uh, for Paige uh, going forward. And also now, uh, for everyone else out there, if you ever want to share uh, your no-contact letters that you were never sent to your narcissist, your narcissistic parent, your relationships, send it into our show. Uh, you can go to the website, NarcissistApocalypse.com. We have a recorder there. You can click on the recorder. It's on the side of the screen. You'll see the button. You click on it, and you read your letter. It pops into our mailbox, and then one day we're going to have a show of all of the people that uh, left messages. We already have one. And someone said that they're about to send one on their way. So we're looking forward to that because people like that episode. Actually, we heard that that episode was very triggering for a lot of people. So uh, we'll do our best to give a warning at least this time. Uh, and then besides that, keep on subscribing to our uh, podcast. If you're new, give us some reviews. It helps us out a lot. We're getting more people every week. Uh, I think tomorrow I record with someone from, I think it's like a 12-hour time, not a 12-hour time difference, maybe 10-hour time difference, maybe. I think it's in Malaysia, something like that. Um, we're worldwide. And the week after that, I think we're doing uh, someone from, or a couple of weeks, we're doing someone from uh, in Germany. So, well, I mean, we're, we really are getting uh, the word out across the world, which is uh, pretty mind-blowing to me that that's what has gone on with this podcast. But now uh, I've taken up enough of your time, and I really hope that everyone has a great week. Uh, This has been How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I'm Chad the Impaler. Good night. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm.